Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon this little child. Well, he wasn't meek and he wasn't mild. Charles Wesley was wrong. He was strong and passionate and his eyes blazed with devotion for God and for the things of God. I don't know about you, but I've never met a joiner who was a wimp. When you handle large pieces of wood every day, when you make tables, build houses, make strong, broad yokes for the necks of cattle, your hands are rough and calloused, your muscles taut and firm. The Victorian wimp that was Jesus with his long blonde hair and his eyes of blue, his diaphanous white nighty and his clutch of adoring children and trembling lambs, was more Walt Disney than New Testament. To do what he did, to live as he did, you had to be strong. And to do what he did that day in the temple, you had to be strong inside. I could never have done it, make a stand, make a scene, speak up and speak out. You know that feeling so many times when there have been injustices and you wished you'd done something, said something, but instead you were gripped by fear of others' opinions, what the consequences might be of taking a stand, popping your head above the parapet, standing with the victim. So instead, we say nothing, do nothing, watch powerless and pathetic. Wimps opt out, real men and women get involved, they don't get coy, they get mad. Edmund Burke's famous warning, all that is required for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. Yep, been there, done that. But listen, let's be fair, the temple had to be kept up. It was the York Minster of its day. Roof repairs don't grow on trees. So some method had to be devised to keep the show on the road. Ripping off pilgrims was the unkind way of describing how animals were sold for sacrifice at inflated prices, how money was exchanged at crippling rates, so that no coin with the image of the hated Roman emperor would tarnish the temple offering. So when you arrived, you changed your dirty emperor money for clean temple money, at the going rate, of course, set by the temple authorities. Nice work if you can get it, my boy. So that's why the temple environs buzzed and bustled with the necessary commerce that was supposed to enable prayer and worship to take place. Cattle mooing, pigeons cooing, the tinkle of money and the shouts of the traders. And at the end of it all, maybe, prayer and the songs of worship drifting on the air. And if anyone minded, if anyone wondered about the appropriateness of this unfortunate commodification of religion, this trade in religion, this turning the worship of God into a cottage industry, well, it was as it was, so get over it. Then he arrived, the not-so-meek and not-so-mild carpenter from Nazareth, and all hell broke loose. He was among them like a messiah in a marketplace. Tables crashed, goats bleated, stall holders grubbed around in the dust for their fallen, fallen coins. It was an outrage, make no mistake, it was an outrage. In the Gospel of John, this incident is placed early in the ministry of Jesus. 
This dramatic device of John, who, unlike the other gospel writers, is pretty free with chronology and sequence, who is used to telling the remarkable tale in his own remarkable way. He places it in his narrative where he chooses, as if he wants to establish the credentials and the style of Jesus right at the start of his ministry. Jesus on fire for God, Jesus willing to grasp nettles of truth for the sake of truth, Jesus the man who is the truth. Now you have to be very sure before you stand up and make a scene in the temple. You have to be absolutely clear about your facts, your motivation, the grounds and integrity of your concern. We know there are plenty who protest about all kinds of things, and they're not all deserving of our admiration or our attention. We know that we can't equate a willingness to stand up with a placard and protest with necessarily a clear view of the truth. Sincerity is not enough. There has to be something more than passion for protest to be valid. There has to be more than courage for protest to be admirable. The authority that underpins the demonstration carried out by Jesus of Nazareth is the integrity of his closeness with God, his utter submission to his Father's will, his profound commitment to the truth, regardless of where that truth will take him. For knowing that this dramatic and symbolic act will up the tempo of criticism and conflict between himself and the religious establishment, knowing that it will be dangerous, but aware too of his obligations to the will and purposes of his father, nevertheless, he sends the tables crashing, the animals squealing, and the authorities rushing to their chambers to plot his death. Now you have to admire the courage of those who protest against big anonymous bullying business and what it does with no thought for anything other than naked profit. What it does to the environment, to fragile indigenous cultures, to the poor nations of the world. You can't help but admire those who demonstrate against dictatorships and oppression and torture across the world. You have to be humbled by those who stand in solidarity with the dispossessed, the abused, the exploited and the forgotten throughout our world. Those against whom the scales of justice seem cruelly weighted. It's precious that there are people who stand up to the bully and who stand with the bullied. Whether that's hashtag me too or Amnesty International... Without people like these, we might end up in the predicament Reinhold Niebuhr described in Nazi Germany. They came for the Jews, and I said nothing. They came for the communists, and I said nothing. They came for the gypsies, and I said nothing. They came for the trade unionists, and I said nothing. They came for the homosexuals, and I said nothing. Then they came for me. And there was no one left to say anything. At the very least, we are challenged by this stunning, shocking event in the temple to consider our commitments, our obligations to the disadvantaged and precarious ones, the voiceless and the weak, the issues of justice, in a world we despairingly describe as ill-divided, 
and are mostly content to shrug our shoulders and leave that way. Because we know to speak up or to speak out puts us in the firing line and we pretty much prefer by the fireside. And if that dangerous, courageous, strong Jesus were to come into the courtyards of his church in our time, the Church of Scotland, the Church of England, the Church of Rome, what tables would he send tumbling to the ground? Perhaps our preoccupation with rules and regulations and with a thousand, and I mean thousand, man-made laws and conventions created to protect and preserve and slow down the church. Perhaps our silly preoccupation with the small and petty details of church bureaucracy and our frequent blindness towards the grand scheme, the big picture, the vision. He would surely send our petty inter-church divisions that still persist even after all these centuries, send them crashing in disarray on the floor, the artificial man-made walls we erect that prevent us sharing in the full communion of his love, the nonsense of our ancient suspicions and caricatures and our grim determination that we are right and the others are wrong. He would take his whiplash to the pomposity and self-importance of his church, put into the world to serve the weak and the poor, but more often than not, seen eagerly hobnobbing with the great and the grand, loving being important. Oh, and is that the sound of the vaunted committee structures of the church groaning one last time before they hit the dust? And the bleat of the minute-taking agenda-pursuing, meeting-loving church mouse, too timid to dare, happy only when obfuscating the vision with more and more nitpicking details and procedures, they would all have to go. They would all have to go in the windrush of his swooping, sweeping, arms-flailing desire to see God's glory. They would all fall. The fear of intimacy, the reluctant hospitality, the culpable ignorance, the narrow focus, the fear of connecting, the hesitant witness, the dreadful silences. All of them swept aside crushed underfoot as he calls for his father's house once again to be a house of prayer and his father's people to be a people of wholehearted devotion to God. So listen, is that the dangerous, disruptive carpenter of Nazareth knocking at the door of our church? Hold tight, he comes. <laughs> 